this week on Hope for the Broken. We pray for things that we want Jesus to show up in all the time. I know people that are angry at God because they've had an event happen in their life and they've prayed and they felt like they've prayed and prayed and prayed and God did not show up. I believe God always shows up. But here's what Jesus does. He steps in to the hurt. And here's what happens. When Jesus enters in, hope abounds. When Jesus steps in, hope comes in. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part five titled, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, we're in the middle of a teaching series that we've entitled I Am. We're taking a look at the seven I Am statements of Jesus that are contained throughout the Gospel of John. And today we come to John chapter 11 when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11. We're going to specifically focus in verses 17 through 27 this morning. Now, if you've been a part of Trinity any length of time, you know one of the things that I urge you, and when it comes to studying the Bible, one of the key principles to studying the Bible is understanding the context of the passage that you are reading. We live in a society where we love sound bites. And we will isolate sound bites. And when we do, we take them out of context. And by taking them out of context, we completely change what it is that the statement is, is being presented as. And so understanding the context when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life is, is vitally important for us here today. And so I want to kind of set the background uh, for us before we dive into exactly what I believe this means and what it is speaking uh, you know, to us today. Jesus was ministering in a place uh, away from Bethany. And, and chapter 11 primarily takes place in a city in a town called Bethany. But Jesus was away ministering and a messenger was sent by Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, uh, to the disciples to inform Jesus that Lazarus was ill. Now the scriptures don't tell us what kind of illness that he came down with. We know it was a severe illness uh, because it appears to have come on suddenly It appears to have progressed quickly and ultimately resulted in Lazarus' life. He died from this illness. And the messenger, speaking on behalf of his sisters, of Lazarus' sisters, appealed to Jesus. And they appealed to the love that Jesus had for Lazarus. They said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. See, because Jesus had a history with this family. We read about it in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is at their house. They are, he is doing some great teaching. And Martha is busy in the kitchen getting refreshments and cleaning and all these things. And her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And Martha gets upset. Like any rational woman would do, she would come in there and she'd say, Jesus, Mary is doing nothing. And look at what everything that I'm doing. Tell her to help me. 
And to which Jesus says, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Just sit at my feet. And so Jesus had this love relationship with his family. He has been here, been in their home on multiple occasions. And when Jesus received the message, Jesus makes a comment. He says, listen, this this illness doesn't lead to death, even though it does. It doesn't lead to death. The purpose of this illness, of Lazarus becoming ill, is for the glory of God. See, because I think Jesus already knew in his omniscience, he already knew that Lazarus was dead. Uh, By the time the messenger arrived, a day's journey to him, I believe that he knew that he was already dead. And the scriptures say that he loved Lazarus, so he remained where he was for two days. Now, this is going to wind up being extremely important in just a moment, because after those two days... Jesus tells his disciples, hey, we're going to head back to Bethany and we're going to check on this situation with Lazarus and make sure everything's okay. And the disciples protested. And they said, Jesus, we don't need to go back to Bethany because, see, they left Bethany under the threat of their lives. So they were fleeing Bethany. And here Jesus says, hey, we're going to go back to Bethany. And Thomas, you know, I love Thomas. Thomas is probably one of the most authentic of the 12 disciples. And Thomas just says, okay, Jesus. We'll go die with you, you know. I can hear him say it so matter-of-factly. And so they go back to Bethany. And when they come into the town, it is a desperate scene. The community was filled with death and decay and distress. And the family and friends of Lazarus were all in shock, expressing great sorrow and even grief. And by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So the scene is a funeral at which Jesus makes this I am statement. At a funeral, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so let's pick up the story there in verse 17 of John chapter 11. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now this is an important detail. In the Middle East, uh, there was no delay in the burial. Once a death had occurred, you were buried the same day. And so Lazarus was buried the day that, that he died, or he was laid in a tomb the day that he died. And the detail that it had been four days is extremely important because of a Jewish view that believed that the spirit hovered over a person's body, hoping for resuscitation to re-enter that body yet again. And so this being the fourth day means that not only is Lazarus dead, I mean, he's gone. Right there, all hope of any kind of revival or any kind of resuscitation or resurrection is is gone. It's a hopeless situation, and this family is reeling from grief. Verse eighteen: Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So now a crowd is gathering around them. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now, this is where we begin to see the hopeless nature of the circumstances going on here. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, and, and I'm going to do it in, in my, my interpretation of how she would have said it. Okay? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, if, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Martha is saying, I wish that you had showed up earlier. Because if you would have showed up earlier, we would have avoided this hopeless 
situation, they're words of disappointment. Things could have been different, Lord. If only you had showed up in time. But have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like Mary and Martha having this burden upon your heart that you are praying, you're, you're seeking the Lord and you're saying, Lord Jesus, help, and he just doesn't show up in the way that you want him to when you want him to? But you know, Jesus' timing is always perfect. Jesus' timing, he's never late. He's never early. He's right on time. But I know that we understand the hurt that Mary and Martha are feeling. Because we pray for things that we want Jesus to show up in all the time. I know people that are angry at God because they've had an event happen in their life and they've prayed and they felt like they've prayed and prayed and prayed and God did not show up. At least he didn't show up the way they wanted him to show up. I believe God always shows up. But here's what Jesus does. I love this about Jesus and I think it's a lesson for all of us here. Jesus doesn't avoid the hurt. Jesus doesn't come in and correct the hurt. Jesus simply invades the hurt. He steps in to the hurt. Jesus is good at that. And Jesus still does that in your life and in mine. He's constantly aware of what is going on in your life and He desires to enter into it, not stand apart from it. And here's what happens when Jesus enters in to the equation. Here's what happens. Hope abounds. When Jesus steps in, hope comes in. And so this morning, I want to talk about three things about hope that we see in this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The first point of my message here this morning is simply hope is a person. Hope is a person. Now, I know we have with us today uh, the Kellys, who are mis our missionaries uh, along the uh, Pacific coast of uh, Mexico, and they are here with us today, and they have a daughter named Hope, and so Hope quite literally is a person, uh, especially for their family. Uh, but whenever I'm talking about hope this morning, I'm talking about hope being found in Jesus. Hope does have a name, and his name is Jesus. Martha says, if only. And she says, and I know you'll comfort us somehow in the midst of this sorrow. And to those things, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that, Jesus, duh. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And it's to this statement that Jesus says, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. There is an I in the I am. There is a person behind the statement. And Jesus says that there is hope because hope is a person and it is himself. Jesus provides hope. I know many of you have been right where that Mary and Martha are. You're disappointed. You're disillusioned. You're wondering what could have been. Maybe even angry at God. But I want you to know, don't miss this. There is hope. And what Jesus does is he redirects Martha's focus. Martha is so focused upon the loss of her brother and so focused that he will not rise again until the far future that the last thing on her mind is a resurrection. The last thing on her mind. Why? Because she's so focused on the hurt, the loss. 
And Jesus simply redirects her focus. Listen, take your eyes off of that for just a moment. I want you to know something. I, I provide hope. You know, we can relate to that, can't we? When events in our life, circumstances in our life, situations in our life tend to get us down or even create this sense of hopelessness, we have a tendency to make mountains out of what would be molehills for Jesus. It's because we're constantly focused on the circumstance. All we could see is the issue. When Jesus has entered into the issue and he said, I, I, fix your eyes upon me because that's where hope is found, even in the most dire of situations. You know, Peter's experienced something familiar. You remember when Jesus came to the disciples, they were in a boat and he was coming walking on the water. And remember what Peter said? I I know Peter gets a bad rep, you know, but, but Peter's the only one that got out of the boat, right? And so Peter says, well, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to get out of the boat and I'll walk on water. So Peter does that and he's, guess what? He's walking on the water. And Peter's doing really good until something happens. Y'all remember what happens? He's like, ooh, sure is windy up here. These, these waves, whoa, what are those 10-foot waves? And what happened whenever he took his eyes off of Jesus? He sank. Here's what's happened in this story in John chapter 11. Martha and Mary, they're sinking. They're sinking emotionally. They're sinking spiritually. They're sinking physically. They're sinking in their grief. And they're just spiraling down and further and further and further down when Jesus says, listen, look up here. Look up here. I'm here. Hope is a person. And that person is Jesus. And Jesus always shows up in our lives. Jesus wants to shift our focus from our circumstances to the Lord over our circumstances. And when we make that shift, beloved, we are filled with hope. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Well, what is the weight A lot of scholars will say, well, it's the sin. Well, no, he goes on to say, and sin. So what is the weight? I think it's sometimes the circumstances of our life that tend to hold us back spiritually or weigh us down or are a burden to us that we carry on a day-in and day-out basis. And he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How how do we do that? Verse 2, looking where? To Jesus. In other words, changing our focus from what is weighing us down to the person who's Lord over what is weighing us down, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, when you face life's most difficult, challenging circumstances, my urging to you, and I believe the urging of Jesus in this I am statement is grab a hold of hope. Grab a hold of Jesus and don't let go. And you will be filled with hope. Hope is a person. Secondly, Jesus being the resurrection and the life means that hope is present. Hope is present. I believe what fed Martha's hopelessness was that she was focused on the past, if you would have been here. 
My brother died. Those are past events. She's so focused on the past, but then she's also so focused on the distant future. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know he'll rise in the distant future on the last day. Again, the last thing on her mind was that Jesus was, a res- was going to perform a resurrection. She was dwelling in the past, looking to the future in such a way that she missed the present. In verse 25, Jesus says, I am. He doesn't say, I was in the past. He doesn't say, I will be in the future. Jesus says, I am right now. That's amazing. Even as believers, we ought to remind ourselves of this often, right? I mean, Martha had most likely witnessed all the miracles of Jesus, or at least heard about them. I mean, she knew who Jesus was. And she believed in Jesus for her future. That yes, on the last day, I will rise and I will dwell with God forever. But it's easy to miss Jesus in the now, isn't it? It's true for our lives today. Don't miss out on today's blessings. Don't get stuck on in the past or focus solely on the future in a way that you miss what God is doing in your life today. Now, granted, I don't know what it is that you're walking through, but I know this. Jesus wants to be the resurrection and the life for you today. Not just in the future. Not just in your past. Not just in the future, but today. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus will show up the way we want him to when we want him to. But it does mean that Jesus will show up in the way that is perfect and the way in which we need him. Jesus wants to be the resurrection and the life today. Hope is a person. Hope is present. Thirdly, Jesus being the resurrection and life means that hope is promised. Hope is promised. One of the the things about Christianity that draws me to it so much is that it's so different than other world religions. Think about it for just a moment. All other world religions at the core of their belief have what is known as a works-based salvation. In other words, you get to go to heaven because of what you do. You go to church a certain time, you pray a certain time, you give certain things, and you do certain things. And hopefully, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you've done enough to please your God and get to go to heaven. That's every other world religion that is out there. Christianity is entirely different because we haven't earned our salvation. No, Jesus purchased our salvation on our behalf and through the vehicle of faith, we are saved. But because Jesus purchased on the cross, it's promised. Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, he says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live That's promise. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. How is that for hope promised? If you are in Christ, you will never die. Well, Pastor Chris, that doesn't make any sense. I know of people who are in Christ and yet I've attended their funerals. They've died. Oh, but they're as alive as they've ever been. See, death, physical death, is just a passageway that gives birth to eternal life. It's a moment in time in which we move on in eternity. 
we shall never die. There's a couple of things that I want us to grab a hold of in what Jesus is saying in understanding that hope is promised first. In the original language that was, this was written in, the word translated as resurrection literally means a standing up. To go from down and out to standing strong. It's a change in status. And this is exactly what Jesus does when he saves us. Ephesians chapter 2 highlights this change. I want to read verses 1 through 5 of Ephesians 2. It says this, And you were dead. Not just struggling, you see. Not just drowning. No, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, best words in all the Bible, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In a quite literal sense, a spiritual sense, you who are in Christ have been resurrected. You were dead, not struggling. You were dead in your trespasses. But when you professed Jesus as Lord, you became alive. And by grace, you have been saved. So there's a change in status. And even though we die, we shall forever live in glory. That is hope promised, backed up by Jesus himself. But not only is hope promised through us standing up, being made alive, but hope is promised in assurance of our salvation. Jesus says this in verse 26, and everyone, by the way, that's available to anyone, everyone who believes and lives in me shall never die. In other words, there is an assurance. There is a resolve that as believers in Jesus Christ, we walk in. I'm not hoping for hope's sake that one day I'm going to get to glory. No, I am basing it upon the finished work of Jesus Christ who conquered sin, death, and the grave. And because he did that, I can rest assured that I will be with him forever in glory. That is hope promised and hope assured. Hope is an interesting word for us today. Modern day dictionaries define hope as this, a feeling that something desired might happen. That's the worldly definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is entirely different. Biblical hope is not just a feeling that something may happen in the future, but rather it is a confident expectation for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires good, brothers and sisters, it, it expects it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance, being certain of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Listen, there is a peace. There is an assurance that comes in trusting in the I am who says I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says that if you believe in him, you'll never die. That's peace. That's comfort. That's assurance. Hope is a person. Hope is present. And hope 
is promised. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.